So today I uh, have the privilege of uh, being given a free topic. And I thought, you know, since we've been going through some hectic topics, why change? Difficult books, why change? So this morning, if you'd like to open to Leviticus with me, we're going to be kicking off. I'm just joking. It's nearly December, and uh, so we need a break. But having said that, I'm trusting that even today that God would uh, open up your, your ears. I'm, uh, I'm trusting that eyes would be opened, hearts are soft to receive what He wants to say. I truly, I have said it before that I don't believe that we can hear God's word and not change. We can, yes, we can listen to it, but if you truly listen, if you truly hear what He says, something inside of us has to transform. And so, Father, I'm trusting this morning, even as we go through something, I want to say simple, Father, but it's from you. So come and open up our ears, Lord. Come and open up our hearts to receive what you want to say through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have ever been to a memorial service or funeral service, and uh, I believe most of us have, if not all of us, you would have probably heard during the the sermon or, or the preach that he or she lived a good life. And it got me thinking, got me pondering, well, what does this exactly mean? And what constitutes to live in a good life? In worldly terms, it may mean that he or she was successful, measured by either status, um, by, by wealth, by what they drove, uh, by job positions or titles held. A good life may point towards a lifestyle where money was simply not an object. In other words, it was not on your radar. If you wanted something, you simply had it. A good life may mean you drove nice cars, that you lived in a penthouse or you stayed in the Gulf estate. And if you stay in the Gulf estate, I'm not having a dig at you. That's pretty cool, actually. In fact, as a youngster growing up, and maybe this is why I wrestle with this, is I thought that he who died with the most toys won. And I'm not against, I'm not against fame or material success or having nice golf clubs, especially the having nice golf clubs part. But if all that a person has done in their lifetime here on earth is to accumulate enough toys and wealth so that they can retire at the age of 37, then is that truly an indication of having lived a good life? And for me, and this is what challenged my thinking over the past few weeks, is that we who declare we are Jesus followers are actually called to have a different perspective of what living a good life is. See, Jesus' first command on the beach given to his disciples was to follow me. And in that following, become more like me and then reflect me, show me to others. That call hasn't changed. As Jesus' followers who are now living by faith, the overruling, uh, dominating desire should be one to live a life that truly matters. And that is a life of significance for God. And at the end of our lives, it's not about counting all of our toys or measuring our success, but rather is desiring to be in the very presence of our Father and hearing Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the real target. I know everyone wants to get to heaven and that's not a bad thing. Yes, we should desire that. But actually, what we should be desiring the most is to be in the very presence of our Heavenly Father. Imagine with me for a moment in witnessing the absolute delight of God and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like to motion this morning, church, that this is truly what a life well lived looks like. That phrase, good and faithful servant, only occurs in one passage of scripture and uh, we're going to keep it super simple this morning, one passage of scripture. It is, however, 16 verses long, so we 
Can I have to listen well? But this is where Jesus is preaching or teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And uh, we're going to be reading now the Matthew 25. And it's a parable of the talents. And we're using the ESV version because I believe there's a little bit of confusion around that word talents. So follow with me. You can either follow on the screen or if you want to make sure I'm reading from the Bible, you can follow from your Bible. But you can read from verse 14 all the way down to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying master you have delivered to me two talents here i have made two talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master he also who had received the one talent came forward saying master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed so i was afraid and i went and hid your talent in the ground here You have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So today, rather than giving you seven steps to becoming a better Christian... I want to simply discuss some observations and implications for you and I from the scripture. And I'm trusting that we allow God's work to go to, uh, God's word to go to work. So let's begin. Observations all the way from the start there, from verse 14. It says, For it, speaking about the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So the story begins with, the norm with a man going on a journey. But before he leaves, it says that he entrusts his property to his servants. Entrust means or, or suggests that the master has absolute confidence in the servants. His property means that everything belongs to the master, not to the servants. And so the expectation here is that they would be wise stewards with what the master has given them. The word talent here in this in context is an English translation of once again a Greek word talentin and I'm not going to explain the Greek word because you're not Greek and I'm not that clever but what I can say is that talent here does not just uh, merely indicate or, or, or represent what we know the word talent to mean these days in other words it doesn't point to an amazing ability like Tiger Woods's ability to play golf rather what it points to is a, is a unit of weight a measure of weight From some of the other translations, we know that the master was distributing talents of gold. So basically a weight, a measure of gold to his servants. Back then, one talent was about 200 pounds of gold. 
200 pounds. Now, for the more modern folk, that's 90 kgs. Now, if you do some simple maths, one kg of gold is about 935,000 rand. So that means 90 kgs is 85 million rand. The master was distributing one talent, two talents, and five talents times 85 million buckaroos. Then that one talent was equivalent to 20 years worth of wage. Two talents, 40 years. If you're really good at maths, five talents, 100 years. That is an astronomical amount of money to entrust to some servants. Then we see the next phrase, to each according to his ability. The master knows that not all the servants have the same capacity and capability. And so he, he doesn't overwhelm the servants. He simply gives them what he knows they can handle. If we continue with the next three verses, 16 to 19, it says, He who had the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and simply buried it. So this is... Fairly straightforward, we know that the first servant gets his five talents, heads away, doubles his, money, doubles his master's money. The next one gets his two, goes, immediately trades with it, makes another two. But the last one, however, buried his master's money, his property, and did nothing during the time his master was away. In other words, the third, third servant hid all evidence of the master, out of sight, out of mind, as they call it. And this is important to your church. And I know I'm jumping the gun here, but when God has given us his property, when God has given us his resources, when God has given us his things, and we simply do nothing with them, in other words, we choose to bury them instead of investing them, then what we are actually doing is simply hiding all evidence of our master. Back to the beach, Jesus calls the disciples, follow me as you become as in, in the following, you become more like me, but then I need you to show me to other people. We cannot be doing that if we bury in the very existence of him. Verse 19 to 23 then shows us how the first two servants give exactly the same account for, or, or same report to the master. They said, Master, you gave me five talents. Yeah, I've made five talents more. The second servant says, Master, you gave me two talents. Yeah, I've made two talents more. In verse 20 and 22, the master then Sorry, verse 21 and 23, the master then gives them exactly the same praise. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. To the second one, well done, good and faithful servant. I love the fact that even though the first servant had made double the amount, than the second servant did, he made five versus the two, that the master gives them exactly the same praise. No different. And that's because... The master is more concerned with faithfulness rather than the numerical value or material results. In the final scene, we see the third servant begin with an interesting accusation of the master. He says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a difficult man. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think comparing to the first two servants, that this is a crazy accusation, crazy statement to make to the master. But you see, the servant's perspective of the master is clearly wrong. I mean, the master, judging by this, was clearly generous beyond compare. Imagine me trusting Quezzy with 85 million bucks, and Quezzy says, are oh, you just a difficult oak? Actually, I'm generous, man. 
in verse 25, he actually says that he lives in fear of the master. I was afraid, and so I hid your talent. The result of the servant's mistaken perspective of the master causes him to bury that talent and live in fear. And I want to say, and we don't have time to go into it, but there is a correct fear of God. We call to have a correct fear of God. But having a correct fear of God will never prevent us from being faithful with what he has given us. So I want to ask this morning before we continue, what impression of Jesus do you have? What perspective of, of Jesus do you have that is preventing you from living a life of faith through faithfulness with what he has given you? We cannot declare we live lives of faith without being faithful with what he has given us. According to some other scripture, James 2, I think it's verse 26, he actually says, faith without deeds is dead. We cannot declare we live lives of faith and then bury things because we have simply not done anything with what we've been given. I love how the master then instructs the servants, regardless of what you thought of me, you should have at least just invested the money at the bank and given me the interest that I was due. So what does this mean for you and I? Well, let's consider uh, a couple of elements in this parable. Number one, the master represents Jesus. And we know this. The fact that he leaves represents his ascension into heaven. And the fact that he returns as master represents when he comes back. When it comes to the talents, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly not sitting with five talents, two talents, or even one talent at home. And if you are, just call someone. We'll help you transfer it to the bank. But what could these talents represent other than just a very large sum of money? Well, throughout history, this talent has been interpreted as special abilities, special aptitudes, and spiritual gifts given to us by God. But I'd like to say we need to expand on this and say that talents represent anything that our God lavishes upon us. So these include, but are not limited to, our natural abilities, our given special talents, our spiritual gifts, our time, our money our possessions, and every small opportunity that God gives us to do His work here on earth. Practically, you might have a gift of hospitality. And that can be translated and outworked in you leading a connect group or even hosting a connect group if you're not the leader. I know that there are so many dining room tables, massive dining room tables in this church that are underutilized. And I want to say that gift of hospitality, friends, is crucial that we need to invest it into God's kingdom. You may be blessed with flexibility of time currently. Maybe you uh, have a job that gives you some off time. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're studying at the moment. And this could enable you to go on so many of the outreaches that we have here. You may be blessed with given opportunities to build relationships out of, outside of this context. Maybe because you own a business or you're involved in the marketplace job. And these opportunities open doors for you to be able to show Jesus to others. You may, through God's gift, find yourself in a financially strong position. And this can enable you to use this for the benefits of the kingdom. We know that talents come in so many shapes and sizes. The real question is, what are we doing with these talents? Where are we investing these talents? Are we investing them to advance the kingdom of God or are we simply burying them by investing them in the, in the plethora of things that only seem to amplify ourselves and amplify our own lives? I think one of the most practical things we could do is to figure out and recognize the talents that God has given us. 
In other words, recognize your abilities, your gifts, your time, your money, the opportunities, the resources, and thank God for them. And then ask the Holy Spirit, as Chaz is speaking and, and, and Viv is chatting about, ask the Holy Spirit to come and lead you and guide you in how to best utilize these talents. Again, I'm not going to leave you. I'm trying my best not to leave you with a whole bunch of steps, but I do want to leave you with a few things to ponder and to think about and to hold on to you about living a good life through faithfulness. Number one, we serve an extravagant God. We serve an extravagant God. Imagine God blessing you with 200, 400, and 1,000 pounds of gold. Don't shout amen. But he has. He has. Maybe it's not gold, but he's blessed you with so many other things. And I love this parable because this just illustrates how abundantly, how extravagantly God has given us things to invest in his kingdom. God blesses us with spiritual gifts, abilities, wealth, time, and opportunities. Everything we need to invest in his kingdom. I'll remind you this morning that every one of us has at least been given one talent. We cannot say we don't have a talent. God has given you either one talent, two talents, five talents. The question is, what are we doing? It. Maybe you don't have money, but you have time. Maybe you don't have time, but you have money. The question is, what are you doing with that? And how are you investing that in the kingdom of God? Put it to work. He has given you a resource already. We just need to be faithful with it. Number two, it's always his property. What we have been given technically is not our own. We always like to, uh, to box our lives to a certain degree. We'll say, well, Sunday is our holy day, and then we live six other secular days. And we forget that every day is a gift that he has given to us. Understanding whose property we are called to steward is the first step in being faithful with his, for his kingdom. I'm going to use this example because, well, I mean, money is everywhere, but we shouldn't look at our money as 10% God's and 90% our own. Rather, we should be asking our question, how can we manage our wealth as money from God under our stewardship rather than under our ownership? Number three, it's all in. All the time, not only when you think you have a good hand or a healthy talent to invest. You should be diligent and put all of God's talent to work. I love that those first two servants. You know, the, first, the, 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 the second servant didn't just say, well, I've got two. I'm just going to bury one and keep one as a, as a bit of a reserve. Or I'm not going to bury three out of my five. They actually, they invested everything that the father had given, the master had given to them. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And number four, rem remember that each according to his own abilities. The Father will never give you something that will overwhelm you. He knows exactly how, much, how many talents that you can handle. He knows your capacity. He knows your capability. One thing that we should never get wrong is we should never compare ourselves to the other folks that are also running this race, also investing. The servant with the two talents should never feel inferior to that servant that has five talents. And on the flip side, he should never feel superior to the one that only has one talent. Maybe your given talent is to lead a church. Maybe your given talent is to lead a connect group. Maybe your given talent is to be in the marketplace reflecting him in those areas. You can assign the talents to that. 
God is not looking for numbers. He's looking for faithfulness with what he has given to you. And then lastly, as we uh, make our way down. And I could have honestly just started with this and we could have been having coffee right now. But this parable is not really about Jesus. I mean, not really, but it's all about Jesus. We'll get into that, jump the gun. This parable is not really about uh, talents or 200 pounds of gold or even 1,000 pounds of gold. But actually, it's all about the giver of the talents. And his name is Jesus. And it's all about how Jesus delights in us and wants to bless us with this thing called joy. The master's response teaches us two important lessons. First, the master was delighted with faith in action. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Recall that the master gives exactly the same praise to both of the first two servants, even though the return on investment was different. Jesus is not an accountant. Sorry for all the accountants out there. He looks at faith in action more than he looks at the balance sheet. Be faithful and diligent with what he has given you to steward. Everyone says, do your best, do your best. And yes, you should do your best. But I want to motion this morning and our part is to invest. That's all of our, that, that's our sum total. Invest. I want to say, invest his best and he will cover the rest. Invest his best and he will cover the rest. He delights first and foremost in our obedience, seeing us put faith into action. And then secondly, it points to an overflowing joy. And we are invited to enter into his extravagant joy. The satisfying joy of accomplishment of having done his work and bringing his kingdom right here to earth. Most uh, cliche saying by many pastors, and you probably would have heard this, is you cannot do anything greater than investing in his kingdom, in working, doing his work. And it's true. I'm going to jump on that train. No amount of wealth, no amount of toys, not even the newest golf clubs, and again, that was just for me, can truly satisfy, but giving the Father a return on investment can. Now, praises from our bosses, praises from our parents, praises from our spouses and our friends who say good job eventually will pass away, but praise from our Heavenly Father remains glorious forever. And then as we land, we will all have to give an account with what we have done with the things that Jesus gave us to steward right here on earth. We will all give an account. No one is escaping that. And I, I pray that as Outlook Church, I pray that as followers of Jesus, that we would eagerly look to invest into the kingdom of God, to recognize what he has given us and sow it straight back in to give him that return of investment. Let us not be a church who takes, who, who have been given so many things, blessed with so many things, and yet choose to bury what he's given us. May we live lives that don't look to just edify and amplify ourselves, but actually live lives that edify and amplify Jesus right here on earth. Can we do that? Amen. Won't you stand to your feet, please? So, Father, thank you, Lord, for, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that it's alive and active. Thank you, Father, that we know that if we truly hear what you're saying, Lord, that we cannot help but be transformed inside. And Father, I pray that this morning, as you are busy transforming some hearts this morning, that I pray that it would light a fire inside of us as well, Lord, that it wouldn't just remain static inside, buried inside of us, but Father, it would come out indeed, Lord. 
We know, yes, Father, we've been saved through grace, not by our work. We get that. That's between you and our Father. But what you've put inside of us, Lord, cannot remain contained in the little cocoon that Viv spoke about. Actually, Lord, it needs to burst open so people can see. You called us. Come and follow me. Come and be like me. And come and reflect me. So, Jesus, this morning, as we reflect on those things that you've given to us, let them not remain dormant inside of us. Let them come out, Father. Let us invest in you. Let us invest in your kingdom here on earth. Father, may we be those stewards who reflect you, reflect your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and help us on this journey. We know that it's not through our cleverness, our wisdom, that we get to, get to use your resources. But Holy Spirit, come and help us. Come and show us how to use them. Thank you, Lord.